Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. We're happy to have one of our own this morning, our brother Bill Lemsden. He's going to share with us at our Bible Instruction Time. So we'll invite him up at this time. Brother Bill, please. Well, that passage of Scripture that I asked Buck to read has nothing to do with the message. But I thought it would be fun to help us remember that the evil days are coming. <laughs> Nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. I don't know if there's anybody here other than, than Ed and I that know about those evil days, but they're coming. The subject that I've chosen for this morning is worship. I'm especially interested in this subject as I feel sometimes we have difficulty in understanding what worship actually entails. For example, various churches often call their Sunday morning services or gatherings worship services. And I've long felt that there's not a significant amount of worship in these. What I call preaching services. And I don't say they're wrong. I certainly enjoy a good preaching service, but they're not really worship services. They're preaching or teaching services. There's some really good preachers. <clears throat> Among them, of course, are Dr. Jeremiah, Robert Jeffries, J. Vernon McGee. I still enjoy listening to him. And others, and Rosemary and I, and I imagine some of you have often thought how wonderful it would be to sit under some of these excellent teachers of God's Word. <clears throat> I mentioned this previously, but I want to say it again. When I'm asked to speak, <clears throat> I try to choose a subject that I particularly need. I then attempt to do some research in order to get what I need as I present the matter to you. <clears throat> I believe this is a subject that I especially need, and it's possible some of you may get something from it as well. <clears throat> I want to talk about what worship is and a state that it should not be restricted to an hour-long meeting on Sunday morning. <clears throat> when it comes to worship service, I think our breaking of bread service is and should be nothing less than a worship service. <clears throat> Sometimes we're inclined to do a little preaching, but even then, it's worship as we, rem as we remember the Savior. Worship entails, encompasses various activities. Among them, but not limited to these, are giving, singing, and prayer. Singing, of course, is a form of worship. However, good gospel singing can take on a number of forms among them as worship. And more often, I fear it may just be making a joyful noise unto the Lord. And that's certainly okay. An example of making a joyful noise unto the Lord, I think, is the hymn, I'll Fly Away. It's a fun tune and fun to sing, and it's certainly a joyful noise. Perhaps... A little worship, but more joyful noise, I think. 
Then there are hymns like Jesus, the very thought of thee, with sweetness fills my breast, but sweeter far thy face to see and in thy presence rest. <clears throat> if we're in the habit of singing our hymns to the Lord as a matter of praise and worship by carefully paying attention to each word, I'm sure he's well pleased. Imagine speaking to the Lord in prayer and simply saying, Jesus, the very thought of you with sweetness fills my breast. That's praise and worship. <clears throat> but it's possible that the words of a hymn can become so familiar that we sing them without even thinking. Not, I'm not saying that we don't pay proper attention to the words we sing. I'm only saying that we must not allow them to become so familiar that we sing them automatically, thereby robbing us of praise and worship. <clears throat> then there are some, some hymns, hymns that I have difficulty singing, primarily because my dad once told me that it's just as bad to sing a lie as it is to tell one. <clears throat> Consequently, I want to be sure when I sing, All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence, daily live. I want to do that, but I wonder if I really do. The wise men who came to worship the newborn king can help us discover some of the aspects of worship. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 2 and read verses 1 to 12. <clears throat> now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. <clears throat> then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you found him, bring the word again to me that I may come and worship him. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. 
And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. As we read about these wise men, they reveal certain characteristics of worship that should be true in our own worship. And there are eight that I would like to bring to your attention this morning. (coughs) First, their worship was intentional. These wise men came to uh, Jerusalem for the sole purpose of worship. Worship is why they left their homeland. Worship is why they brought their treasure. Worship is at the heart of everything we see them doing in this passage. They had their hearts set on coming before the Lord Jesus to worship. Our, Our worship should be intentional too. We should come to his house with worship as our goal. We should approach him in prayer and worship in our hearts. Worship is not something that just happens. It should be something we set our hearts on, something we seek, and something that motivates us. Second, their worship was volitional. It was an act of their will in verse 2, saying, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. It was something that they determined in their hearts to do. No one forced them to leave home and family. Excuse me. To travel, travel across the desert to find Jesus. No one suggested that they give gifts or made them bow the knee to the Lord. Our worship should be volitional too. That is a conscience, conscious determination that we will not go through the motions of worship, but that we will set our hearts to the task of loving one, the one who died for our sins on the cross. Third, their worship was personal. They did not allow others to do, their, to do their worshiping for them. These men involved themselves in worship. Look what they did. They came from a great distance. They rejoiced when they found him. They humbled themselves before him. And they willingly lashed him with gifts. Our worship should be personal as well. Many times we seem to worship by proxy. We let others do the singing for us in a choir. We let others pray. We let others give. We let others work. We let others teach and preach. These comments may be hard to hear, but it's too easy to make excuses for letting others take the reins. God has blessed each one of us 
beyond our wildest dreams. He's saved us. He's moved mountains for us. And he's blessed us beyond our expectations. I know these things. And at least, the least I can do is worship him. Fourth, the worship of these men was confrontational. We're told that Herod was, was troubled with him and all of Jerusalem. Herod thought that since he was king, he should be worshipped. But these men didn't bow down to Herod. They did not come to worship in the temple. They came for one purpose, to worship a baby. And not just any baby, but a baby that was eternal God. A baby who is king of kings and Lord of lords. When we reach the place of unreserved worship of the Lord Jesus, you'll offend some folks. Not everyone will understand and not not everyone will bow with you when you give thanks over a meal in the restaurant. And giving thanks before a meal in a restaurant can sometimes be a little difficult when we feel we may be offending someone. Or perhaps we might feel a little conspicuous. The Lord is worthy of all of our love and praise every day and every place. We should remember his words when he says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Fifth, the worship of these men was emotional. These men arrived at a place where they would find him, and they were overcome with emotion. The phrase rejoiced with exceeding great joy has the idea of exuberant excitement. You can almost see them shouting and jumping for joy and excitement in the prospect of finding the one that they'd been searching for after these many miles and probably many months. Worship of the Lord should fill our hearts with unspeakable joy. And there's nothing wrong with emotional worship. To clap or lift our hands in praise, as stated in Psalm 47.1, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God, with a voice of triumph. That may not be your thing. And we should leave those folks alone whose desire is to worship in that way. We must presume that they're giving God the worship that they wish from their hearts. That may not... We we should worship in the way that God has wired us to worship and not concern ourselves with the way others worship, which we sometimes do. Sixth, their worship was effectual. Their worship had an effect on Herod, on Jerusalem, and the scribes. It caused them to think about the things that God once said. You see in verse 6, And now, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not least among the princes of Judah, 
For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule his people. It had the effect, on, he'd had an effect on these wise men with, as their relationship with God. Look at verse 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young man, the young child, with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. They were brought into a place of closeness and intimacy through their worship. Seems that these wise men had left their homes to find Jesus, perhaps based on an Old Testament prophecy in Numbers 24:17. Perhaps there were documents in their homeland that they had studied which had been written by Daniel or maybe Ezekiel or other Israelites who had been their captives. God seemed to be moving in their lives because they humbled themselves by bowing before him in worship. Worship is still effectual. It touches the world around us. When God's people are engaged in genuine, spirit-guided worship, a lost world takes notice. It'll drive some away. But others will be caused to think about their own relationship with God. John 12.32 says, If I be lifted up from the earth... I will draw all men unto me. It'll affect you too. As you find yourself drawn deeper into his worship, his presence will become more precious, his word more powerful, and his house an even even greater source of joy. As we worship him, he'll respond by speaking to our hearts in new and deeper waves. Seventh, their worship was relational. Their worship was guided by God and their relationship with him. They gave him worship because they were walking with him. Anyone can sing or shout and give fleshly worship, but only a believer who's in a vital love relationship with Jesus can give him pure, perfect worship. Only one who walks in obedience with his word and will can give him the worship that he desires. Eighth, their worship was sacrificial. They did not worship on the cheap. They came a long way from the east. We're not told where they came from, but Bible scholars seem to agree that they came from Mesopotamia. If that's true, they traveled several hundred miles and it would have taken several months to complete. It it would have been costly and time-consuming. Their journey would have been fraught with danger, yet they deemed the trip worthwhile because they felt Jesus was worthy of their worship. Worship is still costly in time. Most of us can be in church in a few minutes. And if you come to all the services, 
you may spend three or four hours a week. Most folks feel that that's more time than the Lord is worth. And most will give him only an hour or so on Sunday morning. I'm sorry to say that that crowd doesn't really worship. They, or we, just go through the motions. Real worship is an investment in time every day we live. It takes time to pray. It takes time to seek the Lord's face. It it takes time to deal with sin in our lives. It takes time to prepare our hearts for worship. Perhaps that's the reason why many folks come to church on Sunday morning and never really worship. It'll take a little effort to prepare to meet the king in his house. There should be time spent in repentance of sin, in feeding on God's word, and in private worship. People who truly worship on Sunday morning have already spent time worshiping in private. These wise men came hundreds of miles with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All three were very costly gifts. Yet they gave them to this little child with no strings attached. They walked into his dwelling, opened their treasures, and they presented them to him. Perhaps we should look at our giving as a form of worship, and it is. And if we can't give because we love him, we'd be better off just keeping it for ourselves. It's a privilege to love the Lord and to give to him. It's a privilege to have something to give. And the only reason that we have anything to give is because he's given it to us first. Everything we have is a gift from God. In Ephesians, or James 1.17, he says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Consider the fact that he's been so extravagant in his giving to us. How should we respond? Now I want to comment a little bit about these these men, who they were. They were not ordinary men. And although we've been told that there were three, there's not a shred of evidence in the Bible that suggests that there were only three there. It's doubtful that three men could have caused a stir in Jerusalem with Herod and even all of Jerusalem. It would have been foolish for only three men to travel all the way across the desert, all by themselves, with all of those costly gifts. Chances are there was a considerable number of them. And due to their stature and bearing uh, expensive gifts, they doubtless had armed guards. Perhaps that's the reason Herod got a little nervous when they showed up with armed guards looking for a king to worship. These men were known in Persia as king makers. 
they appointed and anointed uh, the kings and rulers in their homeland. They were powerful and influential. These rich, powerful, influential men stood before Herod and declared their intention to worship a child king. When they found him, these educated, sophisticated men laid aside all pretense to worship a child king. The words they spoke in verse 2 and the gifts they gave in verse 11 declared their faith in Jesus, the Son of God, and they literally gave themselves away at the feet of the King of Kings. That's what he deserves. That's what he expects of us. He wants to, us to come to a place where we abandon all pretense, all pride. There's not a greater form of worship than that. To be humble in our praise and worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Are we the kind of people that freely give him our time, our treasure, and our testimony? The kind of worship that he deserves and desires? Well, these comments have caused me to think a little more seriously about worship. I hope they may have been a help to you. Perhaps we can be doers of the word and not hearers only. Let's pray. Father, our worship at its best is imperfect. Help us, as we pray, to be reminded of your goodness and to be and to respond with the kind of worship that you greatly, so greatly deserve. To remember that you set aside your eternal glory to be to be despised and rejected and to be wounded for our transgressions because of who you are and what you've done. We desire to worship in a way that would please you. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.